0: Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Oh man, what a weekend it's been! We have had an awesome time. Um, I fly back home tomorrow and uh, I'm excited to see my family again, but have so enjoyed just being here the last couple of days. I really want to honor um, Eunice and Katrina for the way they've just hosted and the whole, a whole spiritual family here. The way you have hosted me has been amazing. Um, it really has felt like home. I love, I love this church culture. Um, I really want to say, you guys are building something awesome here that I really think just honors Him. And at the end of the day, that's, that's all that matters. You know, we can build churches that honor people. We can build churches that honor God. And I, and I think that what we're building here is something that truly honors him and glorifies him. And through that, we'll minister and touch many people's lives. And so I really want to honor the leadership team um, for that. I actually had a prophetic word for you this morning that because I went totally on a different rabbit trail, I never got to it. Um, Pastor Chris, I really, I really feel, I feel like there's a grace on your life to plant churches. It's an apostolic grace Um, that God has called you. And the picture I had is I I really see like a similarity between yourself and the Apostle Paul, who would go to places, plant churches, set the foundations, set people in leadership, set the order, and then move on. And I see you planting different places in Namibia, but it goes beyond Namibia, that God has called you. There's an apostolic grace upon you. and yeah, let's just stretch our hands towards him. And so, Father, we just thank you for the call on this man on his family and we thank you father we thank you for the apostolic grace we thank you father for the call upon them that out of his loins this is the word i had out of your loins will come many generations and i thank you father that out of this man will be birthed so many churches out of this man will be birthed so many congregations of people who will serve you and honor you, Father, and that your kingdom will advance. And so we pray for them right now. We seal them, Father. We ask for your angels to be around them, to protect them, to lead them, to guide them, and we bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on. <laughs> so we, we've seen God do some really awesome stuff um, so one of the testimonies, I, I, and again, I, I guess God just took me on a different tangent. I forgot to share this. But in the first service, we had a lady come forward who had gone for an operation. She was on crutches, and uh, she normally wears a moon boot um, and a broken ankle, and they had sealed the ankle. And she was in pain and that. And she came to the front, and we were praying with her, and the, firstly, the pain decreased. So we are like, yeah, Jesus is on the move. So we kept praying and she started getting movement and she started to move her ankle like this and then the pain totally disappeared and she walked out without her crutches. Come on. Man, I love serving Jesus. I, I, used, to, I used to, when I was growing up, um, have people say to me, man, Christianity's boring. And I look at them and I'm like, what Christianity is that? Because, <laughs> man, if you know the God I serve, there's nothing boring about the God that I serve. So maybe if your Christianity is boring, ah, uh, maybe you've got a question, a couple of things. But if you started living out the call that God puts in His Word to partner with Him, it's just the most fun, exciting journey you can go on. The fact that you can have a God who walks with you who knows what you're going through, who walks alongside you, that is just the most amazing thing. Let alone, you know, the miracles you'll see around you. The fact that I can get up in the morning and go and have a quiet time and spend time with him, and he'll say, Steve, you're my son. I love you. I just want to spend some time with you. That is just amazing. That just blows my mind, the fact that we can really just love a God like that. Um, And so it's really been just such an honor the last couple of days um, to be here. And uh, as as mentioned, this is my family, Um, an amazing family that I have. Families are a blessing from the Lord. Amen. Um, So Jackie and I have been married 16 years, and uh, we've got three children. Uh, Bethany, who's our eldest, Sarah, our second, Zoe, uh, who we had a picture um, when Jackie was pregnant. We were praying for for the pregnancy with Zoe. And this is the picture we got. We got a backpack, her walking with a backpack away from us. Now, that's not exactly a picture you want to get as a parent. But she's been the most independent of our children since she was born. And God spoke to us and said she's going to be a revivalist. And we called her Zoe because Zoe means abundant life. Zoe life. When Jesus says, I came to give you life and life more abundant, it's the word Zoe. Zoe. And so that's why we named her that, and then Jaden, um, our little boy. And uh, so really blessed to have them. And then I, I run a ministry called Daniel Group and the Supernatural Lifestyle School, as well as an online Bible school that we are developing, because uh, we want to see the body of Christ raised up um, in every area. Kingdom, revival, culture. Amen? I want revival, but I also want to see the kingdom come. That means in business. I want to see people go into politics, into business, into medicine, into education, and transform what that area looks like and not have to separate. The reason why we call ourselves Daniel Group is from Daniel 11 verse 32 that says that the people who know their God shall be strong and do mighty exploits. Three aspects to that scripture. It's, it's knowing God, intimacy with Him. Will make you strong and then you will do mighty exploits. And Daniel is a model of this. For me, he's one of the greatest models in scripture besides Jesus. He was as supernatural as they come. God shuts the mouth of a lion, handwriting on a wall. I mean, you name it. Prophecies are still waiting to come true about the end times. This was a supernatural man, he was a man of absolute character. Amen? Three generations of kings he served. They couldn't find one thing wrong with him. I'm like, Jesus, we need some politicians like that. Amen? Character, the supernatural, and yet he wasn't called to vocational ministry. He could go into the seven mountains and impact it. That's the generation God is calling. Because I think so often in the church, we've separated those out. So sometimes we have people who are supernatural, but their character is a bit flaky. Hmm? Or they're all into the supernatural, but they don't know how to hold a job. Then we have people who are CEOs, but because the supernatural seems a little bit weird, they don't want to go there, and they're separated out. God doesn't want to separate things out. He wants a kingdom revival culture. That's what we're going after, and that's why we call ourselves Daniel Group. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not here to preach on Daniel. Um, I could. All right, so this evening I want to speak a little bit about Peter. Peter's one of those characters in the Bible that I love. <laughs> he, he was one of those guys who, who really was a shoot from the hip, say what I feel in the moments kind of guy. You probably know some people like that. That was Peter. Lord, if everyone else denies you, that's not me. I will go all the way to the end. I will lay down my life for you. That that was Peter. Peter was the guy who spoke and then thought. So they see what they think is a ghost on the water. And the first thing that comes out of Peter's mouth, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. His brain is probably thinking, what did you just say? And then Jesus is like, come. And then he's like, whoa, 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 what? I wasn't expecting you to actually take me up on that. That's the sort of zealousness that Peter had. And I think there's a side that Jesus absolutely loved about this guy because he was zealous. But he got in trouble many times by what he said. He was a disciple of Jesus. He was the leader of the early church after Jesus ascended into heaven. He was the guy whose shadow was healing people. How cool is that? That's why, guys, I'm like, you know what? There's so much more. So I've I've had someone who I've walked past and they've actually gotten delivered. We were having a soaking meeting and they were just soaking there. And as I walked past them, they said they felt something leave them. And I'm like, God, if Peter can see people getting healed. Guys, we've got to read the Bible for what it is. The apostles walked in such anointing that people knew them by the healing power they carried. How do we know that? Because it says that people brought out the sick and laid them on the streets waiting for the apostles. What reputation must you have in a city that people would bring the sick out and laid hoping you come past? I'm like, God, I'm looking forward to the day that when we arrive at church, there's a queue of people outside on the road just waiting for us to drive past because they know that when we come past, the sick get up and get healed. Every time I read something in the word that doesn't line up with my present reality, it's an invitation to more. I don't get condemned about it, it makes me more hungry. It makes you say, God, I need this. This is how they were walking. This is how you walked. There is more. Peter was a powerful preacher. In fact, his first sermon brought 3,000 people into the kingdom. His first sermon. Man, if, you, if you're a preacher, you know your first sermon is normally your worst. His first one brought 3,000 people in. But he's someone who went on a journey with the Lord to get to that place. He's someone who went on a journey with the Lord that a lot of us are either going through or will go through at some point in our lives. And today I want to learn from this man, Peter. We're going to spend a moment, we're going to look at his life and the journey that he went on with the Lord that a lot of us go through in our lives. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 5. We're going to start in verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. What sort of man must Jesus have been to make fishermen lay down their nets in one moment and follow him? He was the son of God. There was something so unique about Jesus that in a moment these men left their careers in one split second and they said, that's it. I'm following this man. What sort of a man is it that would do that? That's the Jesus we serve. That people would in an instance say, I need to serve this guy. If you are here and you don't know the Lord, you can make a decision like that, like Peter, to say, I choose to follow you. And I lay down my so-called nets. I lay down my life and I choose to follow you today. That's what happened with these men. So Jesus took these men and walked with them for three years. Twelve men. Plus he had another 72 people who followed him around. He was quite a crowd walking. That's almost 100 people walking around. They had been walking with him for three years. So you can imagine them people started to talk about this Jesus. We go to the next slide. They would have been sitting in their homes talking about, who's this man Jesus? You know those dinner parties that you have? Everyone's talking about the talk of the town. They would have been talking. Have you heard about Jesus? Who's that? He's this guy, man. He's coming around. He's got these people following him. Apparently, he's healing people. They're getting up off their mats. They're walking around. It's crazy. The talk of the town would have been Jesus. Some people would have been amazed. Some people would have been skeptical. Rightly so. Wouldn't you be skeptical if you're sitting in a dinner party hearing about a guy who people are getting up off the ground? Some people would have been skeptical. Some people would have heard about rumors about this man who got transfigured and he even walked on water, multiplied food, and now what? Are you sure? Is this the Elijah that was to come? It would have been the talk of the town. Whatever the truth of the situation in the home was, the one question they all were asking was this. Is this the one who will come and deliver us from the Romans? You see, you've got to understand that in that context of that day, the Jewish people were being oppressed by the Romans They had been overtaken, and they were subjected to the authority of the Romans. And if you look through Jewish culture, whenever the Jews were subjected to an authority or another government, God would raise up a judge to deliver them from those people. So you would have people like Moses, who God removed the people from Pharaoh's grip through the life of Moses you've got Deborah, you've got Samson, you've even got Saul and David, all the way through the Old Testament, whenever they were oppressed, God would raise up a deliverer. So we know what the Bible says, but in their minds, they're looking at Jesus and they're seeing him through the lens of the Torah, which was their Bible. They're seeing him through the lens of the Old Testament and they're looking at him saying, is he the deliverer that is to come? Is he the one that's going to start a revolution in our country? And this is how the disciples viewed him. They did. They viewed him as the mighty deliverer who will physically deliver them. How do we know that? Even in Acts 1, verse 6. Sorry, I've skipped over a thing, but if we go two slides on. In Acts 1, verse 6, it says. Then they gathered around him and asked him. Now, this is after he's been raised from the dead. They still didn't get it. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus must have wanted to pull his hair out. I've been walking with you for three years. You think it's about Israel. You've missed the whole point. The disciples didn't get it. They were looking for an uprising. Everyone was looking for it. They were ready for it. I mean, think about this. Jesus walks into Jerusalem. He starts turning over tables. They must have been like, this is it. Look, he's coming. Look, he's actually starting a revolution. He's turning over the tables. He's showing some aggression. They must have gotten excited. Because of what they thought would come. In Matthew 26, 36, look at this scripture. It's on the screen. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus was praying in anguish. His disciples were sleeping. Jesus praying in anguish. The disciples sleeping. Is it because they were tired? or because they were misled. It's not just because they were tired. If they knew the truth of the matter, they would have been with Jesus all the way. doesn't matter how tired they were. If they knew what was coming the following day, they would have stayed up with Him. But the reality is, they were misled in their hearts of what they thought God was going to do And therefore, they weren't awake. The question I have is, is the church today asleep? Because Jesus is coming back, but we don't have the heart of the Father and the the urgency of the Father where we are awake and praying and seeking God and reaching people because we're asleep. Because we don't have an urgency. Because we don't necessarily see things the way He sees them. You know, one of the things that blows me away is the amount of people who have near-death experiences. They die, and they see God, and they come back. And the amount of them who are coming back, and they say, God has a message for the church. I am coming soon. He is saying it over and over again. I am coming soon. May the church wake up. We might be the last generation to live on this earth. We might. We might not. But when you look at the prophetic words about what happens in the end times, Israel being restored, all the things that are happening in the world events today, we are very close to it. Let's not be found asleep. Let's be awake. Let's be people who are on our face before Him, praying. The disciples were misled. Verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas says, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it, and and struck the servants of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And you see, I want to just bring it back to what I was talking about—the fact that the disciples had a view about what Jesus was here on the earth to do. So in the moment the soldiers arrive, Peter thinks, this is it. It's time for the revolution. So his response is, how do you respond to a revolution? Draw the sword. Do you see? The action follows the heart. He didn't see things the way Jesus. Be careful when you perceive what God's will is, but you don't specifically know what God's will is. Just because God has done stuff in your past in a certain way doesn't mean he's going to do stuff in the same way. He's not a formula God. He's got a personality. It means he might have done it four out of five times like this, but now it's the fifth time he chooses to do it a different way. Peter looked and he, he judged based on the Old Testament. He judged, oh, it's time. Let me draw my sword. It's time to take them on. And Jesus is like, ah, uh-uh. No. You've missed it. Be careful when you perceive it. So God's ultimate will starts to manifest in that moment. And Jesus turns around to them and he says, no, 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 no. Put your swords away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And he turns around and heals the guy. I'm like, hello. Let the guy lose an ear so he can remember this for the rest of his days. That's how I would have responded. No, no. Jesus, like, heal the guy. I love this guy. I love him. I've known him since he was born. And he heals him. And in that moment, two kingdoms collide. An earthly kingdom that the disciples were looking at, and the God's kingdom, that God's plan was coming into fruition. And the disciples thought they were going this way, and suddenly God's plan comes, woof, that way. And in that moment, they are left confused. Emotions are running all over the show. What do you mean put my sword down? Isn't this everything I left my fishing boat to do? Aren't you the one who's going to come and deliver us from the Romans? What do you mean put my sword down? He didn't actually say that. This is in his heart. It would have been this wrestle. Confusion. Then fear. Well, if I can't defend myself with a sword, I'm surrounded by an army of people. Fear. Fear. Then disappointment. But Jesus, I followed you all these years. You're just going to give yourself up like this. Confusion, disappointment, fear, all these things coming into the heart of the disciples. They don't know what to do. So they turn and they run. Matthew 26 verse 56. Then all the disciples deserted and fled. Have you been in that place? Let's bring it home a little bit. Have you been in that place where you thought you knew the will of God in a situation in your life? You had it all planned out. This is what God's going to do. He's going to do this in my life. He's going to do that in my life. Then he's going to do that in my life. He's going to do that. And you got it all planned out. Why? Because you've seen God do A, B, C in your life. So you think in the next 10 years he's going to do A, B, C, just like he's always done there are times where suddenly God doesn't come through the way you think he was going to come through. And you're faced with those same emotions. Disappointment. Anger. Disillusionment. God, what are you doing? Why didn't you come through for me like this? I really thought that you would do it like this. For some of you, you've never been able to move on from that place. Because you feel like God let you down. You were really trusting him. You were believing him. You were confessing those scriptures. And because it didn't work out the way you thought it would, you disappointed and disillusioned in God. This is what Peter went through. He faced all those things. For others of you, it may be the reason that you've even walked away from God. Because disappointment can lead to bitterness. And you don't want to say so, but you actually are offended with God. How could you do this to my family member? I was trusting you. How could you have made this happen? All these things that would have gone through the mind of Peter. But thank you, Jesus, it's not over. But I want you to watch this because this is the journey that can go on in the heart of a person that leads them astray. Matthew 26, verse 25. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had had assembled. Now look here. But Peter followed him at a, say it? distance, Distance. Right up to the courtyard of the high priest. What happens in the life of a believer is when disappointment comes, disillusionment comes, you will still follow Jesus, but you'll follow him at a distance. You will follow him to be able to see what's happening over there, but not close enough to affect you. Keep it safe. This is the start of backsliding. Something comes into your heart, grabs it. And I want to expose this because this is the the enemy, how he does it. He hasn't changed his strategy. He tried it on Peter. He's still doing it today. Disappointment, disillusionment, all of these things will come into your heart and you'll slowly push Jesus away. You'll still come to church, but maybe you're sitting at the back. No offense to sitting at the back. I'm not claiming you. But you might just start slipping at the back. Why? Because it's more comfortable over there. You're keeping Jesus at a distance now. And you're watching him. Peter doesn't know where he stands. He used to be someone who made statements like, if everyone deserts you, I will not desert you. But here he finds himself following at a distance, unsure of himself, unsure of Jesus. It didn't happen, well, I was going to say it didn't happen overnight. It actually did happen overnight. But it was a process that happened in his life heart. He didn't choose it. Something happened in his heart that shifted him to now he's watching at a distance. For some of you, this is where you're at. You used to be on fire. You used to be the one who arrives early at church, jumping up and down, praising Jesus, doing all the things. But somehow life has caught up with you. This illusionment has come into your heart. And you've chosen just to be comfortable in church. But you've lost the fire. You've lost the fire. You're keeping him at that distance. And the problem with this, my friends, is that when the crunch hits, it shifted from I'm watching Jesus at a distance to I deny him. You're one step away from denying. So Peter's watching at a distance, and the people come, oh, aren't you one of them? No, 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 no. It's not me. It's not me. Denies Jesus. Denies Jesus. But it all started with a heart issue that he didn't deal with that festered and slowly pushed Jesus away. And as Jesus got pushed away, finally the crunch came where someone pushed him to, are you really one of the disciples? And he said, no. For some of you, you might be in that place where you're comfortable here, but when you arrive at work on Monday morning and someone says, hey, aren't you part of that church? I thought I saw you park there. Are you one of those guys the happy clappies, raise your hands, you know, all of that, pray in tongues? No, 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 no. You have me mistaken. Let's not push Jesus away. When denial comes, guilt and self loathing will follow. Because Peter left there and he wept. Bitterly. Guilt and self-loathing. It might be some of you here who you're in that place where you're feeling guilty because you feel like, God, I've pushed you away. When I've been asked, am I a Christian? I, I'm, I'm not bold enough to say yes. And you feeling guilty and self-loathing. Jesus rises from the dead. Peter totally guilt-ridden, leaves the disciples. That's the next thing that happens. When you get guilty, self-loathing, you're denying Jesus, the first thing that happens, you push people away. You push away other disciples that were in your life. Peter says, I can't be part of you guys anymore. I'm sorry. Why? Because I can't even see myself in the mirror anymore because of what I did. So, Where did he go? He went back fishing. He went back to his comforts, the thing that comforts him. He went back to the place of comfort to try and comfort the inner turmoil that he was feeling inside of him. Guys, when you have inner turmoil because you're not right with God, no comfort that you have can substitute for the peace of God. You can try and wash it over with alcohol, you can try and run away from God and just run to those things, woman, alcohol, whatever it might be, whatever your comfort is, you can try and run to that thing, but it cannot take the place of Jesus. His peace is the only thing that can substitute. So Jesus rises. And in Mark 16, verse 7, look at this. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Jesus rises again, his first message. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Jesus knew that Peter wasn't with the disciples anymore. He knew the state of this man's heart. He knew the state of this man's soul. And it burned Jesus' heart that he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go reach him. I love him. Go tell him. What Jesus is saying in that moment is he's saying, I know he denied me three times. I know that in my greatest need, he betrayed me. I know that. I know that he's no longer part of the rest of the disciples, but I love that man. Go tell Peter. So Peter heard the great news, but we actually have no accounts of him even responding to the news that Jesus risen from the dead. He stays fishing. He's still so guilt-ridden about what he's done. He doesn't know how he's going to face the Lord. And in John 21, verse 1, we read this account. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, this is verse 4, early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then a disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. For he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat Towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. Do you see what happened here? The first scripture I read to you in Luke 5, the way Jesus called Peter in the beginning was to multiply fish in the net. This is a man who's walked away from God, he's broken. Everything inside of him is broken. And Jesus comes back, and he performs the same miracle. And Peter's looking down, and he's looking at this, and he's saying, I've seen this before. I've been in this environment before. And John says, it's the Lord. That's all Peter needed. That's all he needed. Because in that moment, everything in his heart broke. He didn't care about the fish. I love the fact that all the other disciples are like they pulled the fish and they went with it. Peter's like, I don't care about the fish. He jumps in and he swims, 100-yard dash, to Jesus. That is the God we serve. It's the God who looks at your situation and says, I know where you're at. I know what you're struggling with. I know the disillusionment that you have. I know the disappointments you have. I know even those times where you doubt me. I know even those times where you've denied me, but I'm still knocking on your door I'm still there performing that first miracle saying, here I am, here I am, here I am. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't left you. Jesus could have quite easily have said, you know what? Peter, I've got another plan for the church. No. His plan was Peter. And he wouldn't let him go. The catch of fish was not about the fish. It was about Peter. Peter. Jesus then sits down with Peter, and he reinstates him, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And God restores Peter that day, and he becomes the leader of the church. In Revelation 2 verse 4, it says that you have forsaken your first love speaking to the Ephesus church. It says, you've become lukewarm. It says, repent and do the things that you first did. I'm calling you back. I'm calling you back. This evening, some of you have been disappointed. Life has gotten to you. There have been things that have just attacked your soul, they have attacked your heart, and you've projected it onto God. Some of you you might even be disillusioned with God. Some of you might be walking at a distance, following him still, but keeping him at arm's length. Some of you may have even gone further denying him, maybe not in your words, but maybe in your actions. And some of you are feeling guilty and condemned. Every single one of us can identify with Peter. Peter. Every single one of us can identify with this man where he's at. And the same Jesus that reinstated Peter is the Jesus that's standing here today wanting to reinstate you. And say, it's not about anything in your past. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I'm sorry for the hurt you've gone through. I'm sorry for the things that you've faced. But I love you and I want to restore the relationship with you, and I want to pray into that this evening. For some of you, you need to lay that down. For some of you, you need to forgive God, and I know that that sounds like God hasn't done anything wrong, but in your heart, you need to release God. Don't hold it against Him. He's not the one. He's not the one. He came to give life and life abundance. Amen? If you feeling like you need to respond to this, and you're like, God, I'm going to dive into that water like Peter did. I'm swimming to you. I want you just to stand where you're at. Stand up right now.
1: Love, God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your love. Thank you
0: for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. Every person that's standing, Father, you know where they're at. And I'm going to ask if there are any of the ministry team that are here, just to go and just gently just pray, not loudly, but just your hand on these people, and I just pray with them as we do this. This is the precious moment, saints. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. that you will restore all things. Father, we lay down our situation at your feet. And all we can do is just surrender it to your love. Surrender it to your acceptance. Surrender it to your love for us, Father. Every disappointment that we've had, Father, everything that we have held against you and we've, we've blamed you, we lay that at your feet and we say, sorry, God, that we've held on to that. Sorry, God, that we've, we've somehow blamed you for life. We've somehow blamed you for things that we've gone through. Sorry, Father, that we've, we've laid you at a distance. We've pushed you away in our hearts, Father. We say, sorry, Father. We receive your love. We receive your love. And he's saying here today, he's saying, like he said to Peter,
1: do you love me? Do you love me?
0: Just respond in your heart to that question. Doesn't matter about your past, he just wants to know do you love me? So, Father, I ask you that your love would surround every person here. Your love would just come, that you would restore. Thank you, God, that you are so merciful. Thank you, God, that you are the one who extends mercy. Thank you, Father, that you forgive every person, God. Thank you, God, that you remove disappointment right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are the healer of our souls And so right now, in the name of Jesus, we remove every disappointment, every disillusionment, even feelings of bitterness right now. We break that power over your life in the name of Jesus. And we release the healing power of God into you. And we declare over you, it is finished. It is finished. He loves you. He loves you. And I want you to take a moment to just receive that love from Him.
1: It's just your love, Father. Your
0: love, Father. Your love. You restoring people. You restoring people your love, your love,
1: your love, your love,
0: every heart, (sighs) every heart, every heart, every heart, every heart, every heart, every heart, you restoring, you restoring. story.
1: Spirit.
0: I just want to be mindful of this moment. He's just doing something in this moment. I just want to just stay in this moment for a while. He's just loving.
1: Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Jesus Oh, Your love is so good Your love is so good Your love is so good Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Oh, Your love is so good Oh, your love is so good, oh. we just thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We give you all the glory and all the honor.
0: (laughs) We thank you, Father, that even in the midst of Your plan to save the world, you still have time for the one. Your plan to transform the world, and you've got time for Peter. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We bless and we honor you, God. You model, us, model to us, Father, what love is. You model to us how we should love. And I thank you for what you've done. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you've just ministered and touched people. Ministered and touched people. You are truly a good God. You are truly a good God. Amen. Now I want us to do something together. As we close off, I want us to give a shout. Because He is worthy. He is worthy. Amen. He is the most amazing, amazing God. So on the count of three, I want us to shout Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus! we honor you father we honor you father we honor you father we honor you father father we thank you that your heart burns inside of us we thank you that we can call you dad what an honor And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you've done here this evening. Blessing and touching people. Father, may you walk with us every day with your love. May we walk totally grounded in your love. And so I bless every person. I bless them. And I ask that your love would surround them all the days of your life that you would walk in it that you would know it and that you would experience deeply the love of Christ
1: in Jesus name Amen
0: Thank you for listening For more information about this podcast and other resources please visit